Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Family Law Talk. Family Law Talk. Presented by Kirk Stangy of Stangy Law Firm, PC. Stangy Law Firm is a family law firm with offices in Missouri and Illinois. Now, here's your host, Kirk Stangy. Welcome to Family Law Talk. We have an interesting topic today. The topic is new shared parenting statute in Missouri. Uh, this is based on a couple of articles that we have on our blog, familylawheadquarters.com. The most recent article we have is dated July 3rd, 2016, and the title of that article is New Shared Parenting Bill Signed by Governor Nixon. And then we had a previous blog article on this same topic before the governor signed the bill, and the title of this article is New Shared Parenting Bill Passes Missouri House and Missouri Senate. So let's jump right into the topic. It's a pretty important topic. Uh, This really stands to have some broad implications for how child custody cases work in the state of Missouri. So this is definitely a topic we wanted to cover, go through some of the key features, and then just try to digest it, go into maybe some of the potential pros, maybe some of the potential cons that some might see, and then just talk about uh, the, the implications of this bill uh, just just as a whole. So let's go through some of these key components and talk about this bill. Uh, first off, this bill was called House Bill 1550. It passed through the Missouri House, and it passed through the Missouri Senate, and it passed through um, with really broad support, broad bipartisan support, um, and, it, and it moved pretty swift. And then the governor uh, just signed this apparently last week, and so that, that ultimately made this bill law. Um, but this is touted as a shared parenting bill. In other words, the idea is make shared parenting uh, more common in Missouri, make it the norm, if you will, uh, make it uh, really the presumption in terms of child custody cases, in terms of how child custody cases work. Now, a lot of you might think, well, what is shared parenting? I don't understand this concept or what this means, and we've covered this in other blog entries and other podcasts, uh, but to sort of break it down for you, the idea is, is shared parenting uh, means both parents have regular contact with the kids. Uh, it can mean 50-50 custody. It doesn't necessarily have to be 50-50, but it's, it, I mean, generally speaking, you're talking something close to that, something where both parents have a pretty equal time or pretty proportional time. And really the interesting component of this as a whole is Missouri, prior to this statute, uh, already made it the public policy of the state that both parents were to have frequent, continuing, and meaningful contact. And now the state of Missouri has moved even further uh, in the direction of shared parenting with this bill. But, but really the idea is if both parents um, have regular contact with the kids, uh, something close to equal, and it keeps both parents checked in, it ensures that kids have an active mom, an active dad, and, and then really one of the ideas behind this is that uh, this would result in less litigation is the, is the thought because if you know, parents can spend a lot of money on attorney fees litigating these highly contentious custody cases, but the thought at least is that if there's a strong presumption in favor of some sort of equal custody, if you will, then parents won't be incentivized to fight uh, these nasty legal battles because at the end of the day, the thought is that most of these cases are going to end up with uh, something close to 50-50 custody, if not 50-50, but something certainly shared parenting uh, or close to that. And the thought is, is that why litigate? Why spend all this money on attorney fees? 
uh, if at the end of the day uh, the court uh, has a strong presumption in favor of something that's shared parenting. So that, that's really the, the idea behind shared parenting, and this is contrary to really the former view, if you will, or the, the view, I would, I would say, in some other states uh, out there uh, would still sort of fall in this camp. Uh, and some psychological research that used to be out there previously, really prior to shared parenting being touted, but the idea was kids really should live in a suitcase, so you don't want uh, kids going back and forth between two homes, so you know, a child should ultimately live in one home predominantly, so they're not moving back and forth uh, in a shoot, uh, you know, with a suitcase, if you will. So that was kind of the prior idea, give a child one predominant home, and the idea was that would be stability, um, that would keep them in one place predominantly. But again, shared parenting comes in, and the idea behind shared parenting is uh, time with both parents is a good thing. And, and if both parents are going to have uh, a lot of time or equal time or 50-50 custody time, then these kids won't be caught in the middle of these highly contentious uh, child custody cases. So let's jump to House Bill 1550, which is the Missouri legislation and talk about some of the key components. And again, for purposes of this podcast, um, you know, we can't go through every component of the legislation. Uh, you could certainly Google uh, House Bill 1550, and you could read all the changes. It's out there online. And in fact, if you follow uh, the links below our podcast to the articles on FamilyLawHeadquarters.com, there'll be some links that'll take you to the actual bill itself, so you can read that as well. Uh, but here's some of the key components, and we'll sort of break this down. The first one is it uh, creates guidelines for parenting plans that maximize to the highest degree the amount of time the child may spend with each parent. So, again, furthering this idea that children should spend as much time as possible with each parent. So not just one parent, so not one parent over the other parent, but that uh, parenting plan or child custody schedules, if you will, should have guidelines that denote that we want kids to spend a lot of time, the highest degree of time, if you will, with each parent. Um, past that, it requires courts to disclose that if shared parenting wasn't awarded and another arrangement was ordered, why? So, that, so courts are ultimately supposed to come up with very specific findings to explain why they didn't do uh, shared parenting. Um, so, so some work there for the court uh, if they're going to deviate uh, from a shared parenting plan. Uh, the other key component is it requires courts to, to provide, in this regard, written findings and conclusions in a custody case, uh, which make the case appealable if a party disagrees with the judgment. So, again, the court's got to be specific. They've got to denote findings, reasons, rationales, if shared parenting wasn't ordered. And then, ultimately, if shared parenting isn't ordered, then it gives, at least the thought, is that it gives a parent... Uh, the ability ultimately to appeal the judgment um, uh, to the Court of Appeals to have to theoretically have it reversed if shared parenting wasn't ordered. Um, the statute is also specific about sex and denotes this, that uh, courts can't presume that a parent solely because of his or her sex is more qualified than the other parent. So this is contrary, if you will, to this idea of the tender years doctrine uh, which, which used to be out there, which sort of had this preference uh, for a mother, especially if children were younger. So uh, this statute, uh, in essence, takes that away, although I would say it was really taken away previously, but in very clear and unequivocal terms, 
it takes away the notion that courts can ultimately consider uh, sacks. Um, another key component of, the, of this bill is that it prohibits local courts from establishing their own rules, such as having a default parenting plan. Uh, previously, and maybe in some uh, jurisdictions still in Missouri, uh, what, you ought to, what you used to be able to find was these default parenting plans that would be sitting on uh, shelves, maybe at particular courthouses or in certain divisions. And these are parenting plans that attorneys could pull off the shelf, maybe pro se litigants even, and you check boxes, um, you fill in the names, ultimately uh, you select different options and you've got this local default parenting plan. And, 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 and previously, in a lot of jurisdictions, courts would use these quite regularly. Well, this uh, new law prohibits that, and, and so local courts aren't to have uh, their own uh, default parenting plans. And really the idea behind this is the thought was that there were a lot of these parenting plans sitting in a lot of shelves that were every other weekend type parenting plans for the fathers. So every other weekend, a night during the week, maybe half the holidays and some extra time in the summer. Well, these parenting plans, which used to be lots of courthouses, now according to the statute, uh, can't be out there. And so, uh, again, the idea is don't let local courts really circumvent uh, the intent behind the statute to the extent that they might be inclined to do that by having their own local parenting plans. So you can't do that anymore under the statute. Um, and then there's this new disclaimer, which is interesting in a lot of ways. Um, in, in starting August 28, 2016, this specific language has to be in every custody judgment moving forward in the state of the Missouri. And here's what it says specifically. It says, in the event of noncompliance with this order, the aggrieved party may file a verified motion for contempt if custody visitation or third-party custody is denied or interfered with by a parent or third party without good cause. The aggrieved person may file a family access motion with the court stating the specifics, uh, specific facts that constitute a violation of the custody provisions of the judgment of dissolution, legal separation, or judgment of paternity and the circuit court will provide the aggrieved party with an explanation of the procedures for filing a family access motion in a simple form for use in filing uh, the family access motion. A family access motion does not require the assistance of legal counsel to prepare and file. So again, those are some of the key uh, components of the statute, and those are the ones uh, ultimately I want to cover in the remainder of this podcast episode today. So. Uh, just in a general sense, if you if you take this bill and you try to encapsulate it, if you are a person who ultimately believes that shared parenting uh, is a good thing and you like this approach of shared parenting where both parents have uh, something close to a 50-50 schedule, if not a 50-50 schedule, I mean something very close to equal, if you believe that's a good thing, and that that is a pro versus uh, the other sort of viewpoint, which is kids shouldn't grow up in a suitcase and they should live in one home predominantly, then you will like a lot of what's in this bill and think that this bill is a very positive thing and that it really moves Missouri um, in a good direction, further in the direction of shared parenting. So that that's sort of the, the overall premise, I think, and I think based on what your viewpoint is, what you think, uh, you will either uh, like this bill and this new statute in a lot of respects, or you won't like it. Uh, the real questions that are out there past that, now that this is going to be the law, 
uh, are these. And so these are the questions that come to mind for me. And these are the questions that I wonder and really ponder about in terms of moving forward, how things are going to work. So, so you get into future uh, divorces, future paternity cases, future custody cases that are out there. Uh, this is the statute now. The statute is really ha- has a very strong presumption in Missouri in favor of shared parenting or equal parenting time. So uh, for parents coming into the court in the future um, to litigate custody, this statute is going to have uh, broad implications and, and change things quite a bit. But for parents who have previous custody orders, right, so for folks who have been through the court system already, who have been divorced, maybe they've been part of a custody case and they have a current order, the question is this, which is does this statute uh, give parents the ability to come back to court to modify existing uh, custody schedules or parenting plans that are out there? That's a real question. And I think a lot of folks uh, might assume uh, it gives them the ability to do so. But still, under Missouri law, parents have to show changes of circumstances of a substantial and continuing nature if it's presently a sole custody order. Or if it's a joint custody order, they're still going to have to prove uh, that it's in the best interest of their children that they get more time. And so I don't know that folks out there can just assume that if they're presently uh, on the short end of the stick of a parenting plan in their mind where they just have every other weekend, that they're going to be able to just come back to court and modify this. I don't know whether that's going to be true or not true. Um, There's a real argument uh, that this statute may not give the them the ability to come back unless they can prove it's in the best interest of their children or that there's a change of circumstance. So so maybe not even. And the other ironic part about that, I would say, is, you know, what, for the proponents of the bill, the people who push the bill, one of the arguments is we need shared parenting because uh, we need less litigation, right? If parents are able to come back and modify, uh, then there might be more litigation out of the out of the gate theoretically, right? So it'll be interesting to see whether this statute results in more litigation or less litigation. It was sort of pushed as something that would result in less litigation, right? Less contentious custody litigation. But theoretically it could result in, in lots of parents who don't have equal custody time initially coming back to try to get it. So out of the gates Theoretically, this statute could result in more uh, custody litigation. It'll be interesting to see, and that'll definitely be something uh, to watch. Uh, The other thing about this statute, which I find very intriguing, uh, very interesting, uh, it might be the component of this bill um, that gives me some uh, reservations, if you will, is this uh, disclaimer that's got to be in judgments starting August 28, 2016, which really pushes some concepts, which is this idea that family access motions um, are uh, the remedy that need to be highlighted in terms of denial of visitation. Now, Missouri has a family access uh, motion. uh, It has family access motion relief available. This has been in Missouri statutes uh, previously. So if a party has an existing custody order, right, through a divorce or custody case, and they're denied their visitation time. In the state of Missouri, parties have the right and the ability uh, to file for a family access motion uh, so that they're not denied their custody rights. And the idea is folks could come in quickly. They could do this expeditiously. 
uh, and they could ensure that they're going to get their time. And so that has already been the case. And so the question you get into is this disclaimer. Uh, does this disclaimer really change anything, or is this just a symbolic effort where we're putting a new disclaimer in every judgment, and that somehow fixes uh, the situation for parents who are being denied their custody time. And I think that's a real question because the way family access motions work, the process, the procedure, how they take place, uh, that doesn't appear to have changed at all. All we're doing is now putting this disclaimer in judgments, and then there's this assumption that by putting it in there, by highlighting it, if you will, this is going to make things better. Uh, There's a real question, again, whether that will actually be the case or whether this is just symbolic. We put this in judgments and now we assume things are going to be better uh, when maybe it won't make it better at all. Uh, the other issue I get into practically is this language that says that a family access motion does not require the assistance of legal counsel to prepare and file. Well, listen, I'm a family law attorney. I know the comeback would be, well, you're an attorney. You want folks to get an attorney. Uh, theoretically, it results in you getting more business if folks get an attorney. And so maybe attorneys don't like this language um, because ultimately it results theoretically in less business for attorneys. At least that's the argument, so to speak. But here's a deal and here's a question, which is, I mean, ultimately, folks can choose to represent themselves pro se. Uh, they can do so now uh, in family law litigation, non-family law litigation. I mean, folks have the ability uh, to proceed uh, representing themselves. But the question you get into, is that really a good idea? Is that something uh, that's smart for individuals who are being denied their custody time? Or would these individuals do better have an attorney with them? Because ultimately, here's the thing, parties can uh, complete the paperwork and file the family access motion, but if that process becomes contested like any other litigation and evidence ends up being adduced at a hearing of some kind, um, the question is, Is are parties able uh, to really try their own family access motion cases or do they really need an attorney uh, to help them to do it? And then on a lot of dockets, uh, these could be very busy dockets where you know, there might be family access motions set uh, with other matters like maybe orders of protection, maybe uncontested divorces. I mean, you name it, in different jurisdictions, there can be mixed uh, criminal, civil, family law dockets. So there could be a lot of different cases set. And the question just is, is for parties that are looking for prompt relief, they're looking for the ability to come in quickly and get their visitation where they feel like they're being denied. If they come in there alone, are they going to be able to accomplish that? Or are they not going to be able to accomplish that? Would they better be better to have an attorney or not have an attorney? And obviously, as an attorney, my advice always is get an attorney. Uh, you're better to, to have somebody who you can get legal advice from and who can protect your interests. And ultimately, it's generally better to have somebody uh, advocate for you because if you're in the midst of a custody case, it can be quite emotional. And to put your best foot forward, it's usually better to have an attorney. I think. I mean, I think that's standard, of course, to come back again, I know, is, well, you're an attorney, and so you're saying that in terms of getting business. Uh, and I understand why folks would think that. But, again, if you're going into a court system, you're going into a court process, having an attorney is really a good thing and is advisable. I just worry to the extent this statute uh, leads folks to think that maybe they shouldn't get an attorney. That causes me some worry. Uh, the other component 
uh, to this disclaimer that causes me some worry is this sentence, which says the circuit clerk will provide the aggrieved party with an explanation of the procedures for filing a family access motion in a simple form for use in filing the family access motion. So when you get into the explanation of the procedures, uh, does this result uh, theoretically in the circuit clerk who presumably isn't an attorney in a lot of places uh, giving legal advice uh, to individuals as well? I don't know whether it will result in that or whether it won't, um, but it's somewhat concerning to the extent uh, that there's a possibility that a non-attorney could be giving something that at least looks like legal advice to another non-attorney, and then you're dealing with sensitive situations where somebody presumably is being denied their visitation rights and they're looking to get some quick action to get them back. And again, for those individuals, they're going to want to take the proper actions, uh, the proper course. Uh, they're going to want uh, to proceed uh, smartly in order to get their visitation time. And I just worry to the extent that we've got a circuit clerk uh, giving something that at least appears somewhat close to legal advice, and then we've got folks walking in uh, pro se. I just worry to the extent that we could have a situation where, uh, again, the individuals who were designed to be helped by the statute, I just worry that this disclaimer um, could, could theoretically run counter to that. Here's the last thing I'll say, and then we'll conclude the podcast as well. You know, to file a family access motion, um, I mean, you generally need an existing custody order. So you would have needed uh, to go through a divorce case and have a parenting plan from a divorce, or maybe you've been in, in court on what we call generically as a paternity case, which is these custody cases between unmarried parents. You're being denied your time. You're trying to enforce uh, your visitation time. But listen, there's lots of unmarried dads out there in particular who pay administrative child support through the state who don't have existing custody orders in play. And for a lot of those dads, I worry under the statute that they think they're going to have the right and the ability to file a family access motion, and they can do it pro se, and they can do it uh, by getting an explanation of the procedures from a circuit clerk when they've never gone to court uh, to get a custody order in the first place. And so while this disclaimer at least gives you know, the appearance that they're not going to have this ability to get their rights quickly, I worry to a lot of the dads out there uh, they're going to miss that important step of getting a custody order in the first place, which would then give them the right to file a family access motion. In other words, you got to go through step A before you get to step B. And I just worry to the extent that this disclaimer um, uh, uh, doesn't really explain that process to, to these folks as well. Again, if you're a proponent of shared parenting, you like shared parenting, you think shared parenting uh, is a good thing, you're going to like a lot about uh, this new statute in Missouri. It certainly moves Missouri further in the direction of shared parenting. On the flip end, if you don't like shared parenting, you might be very disappointed by a lot of what you see in the statute. But, that, but that's sort of the elementary question. Past that, you get into a lot of the weeds in terms of the specifics of the statute. And it'll be really interesting to see how, how some of these specifics play out over time. Again, as a follow-up to the episode today, uh, go to familylawheadquarters.com. We've got the article July 3rd, 2016, titled New Shared Parenting Bill Signed by Governor Nixon. And then we had a previous article dated May 15th, 2016, titled New Shared Parenting Bill Passes Missouri House and Senate. And you can definitely check that out as a follow-up to the episode today. Thanks for tuning in to Family Law Talk, and stay tuned to our next episode coming up. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Family Law Talk. 
with Kirk Stenge. Visit StengeLawFirm.com for more about today's topic or to put Stenge Law Firm to work for your family today. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri or Illinois reviews or approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The information you obtain on this podcast is not, nor is it intended to be legal advice. You should contact an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation. We invite you to contact us and welcome your calls, letters, and electronic mail. Contacting us does not create an attorney-client relationship. Please do not send any confidential information to us until such time as an attorney-client relationship has been established. And finally, past results afford no guarantee of future results, and every case is different and must be judged on its own merits. Kirk Stange is responsible for the content. Principal Place of Business, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450, Clayton, Missouri, 63105. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.